What's up, you freaks? Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Recap with Matt and Marty. It's your boy, Marty Bent. Today's Tuesday, October 2nd, 2018. The price of Bitcoin on Bitstamp uh, at about 5 p.m. on the East Coast is waiting, waiting. $6,524. Pretty range-bound recently, Matt. Bitcoin is my stable coin. It's been a very good stable coin for the last uh, couple weeks. A lot of tension in the charts. The Bollinger bands are getting tight like a toyga. Yeah, according to our buddy Murad, we have uh, about 20 hours till complete collapse. Yeah, so we uh, we have that on the timer. We're, we're definitely uh, keeping, keeping an eye on that. Uh, but before we dive into our topics tonight, we have a, a new sponsor. I'm very proud uh, to be to be uh, shilling for. I've shilled for them for free on this podcast many times before. I'm sure you freaks will be excited to to learn uh, that the Cash App has officially come on board the Tales from the Crypt family and uh, has decided to sponsor some uh, episodes with some official money. So this is a big big day for us. Uh, Cash App, you all, you freaks know, it's my favorite app uh, to buy Bitcoin with now these days. The UX is impeccable. I use it every day. I had the cash card. Uh, so you, you already know the Cash App is the number one finance app on the App Store. What you might not know is that you can also put Cash App in your wallet with the cash card, which I was just, just describing. It's the only debit card that offers instant rewards. It comes packed with premium features not even a credit card can offer, like Boost. If you want to go to Whole Foods, uh, any coffee shop you go to, Chick-fil-A, Domino's, Panera, uh, I believe. I'm not positive about Panera, but they have uh, a list of merchants that you can go to and cash card users specifically get crazy discounts i use it every day for coffee just used it 45 minutes ago for whole foods as well 10 percent off highly recommend it um so the cash card puts you in control of your money with the extra in-app safety features that let you pause your card uh with a touch so if you leave your wallet in an uber uh, you can go to the cash app uh toggle over hey nobody can use my card right now you have that extra layer of security that really doesn't exist with other cards. Uh, not as easy uh, from a UX perspective. Um, so we're not using the other apps anymore. I've been trying to convert my friends one referral at a time. Yeah, well, hopefully this official ad will, will help us spread a bigger referral net. Um, so if you freaks haven't done so yet, make sure you download the Cash App. I don't have any special promo code or anything for you. Um, so... To prove to Cash App that we have... <laughs> we no, don't have a promo code. No promo codes. Uh, I think these are just pure reads by just Cash Just use App. the promo code Tales from the Crypt for a 0% discount. Yeah, or use my hashtag, <laughs> uh, hashtag Marty Bent, if, if you can somehow do that. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, but or, if you can't officially... Hashtag Matt Odell, that'd be nice. Yeah, that as well. Uh, either or. This is a two-man team here. Um, but if you freaks uh, download the Cash App because of this ad read, why don't you uh, take a little screenshot of it and tweet it tweet uh tweet it to us yeah tweet it at jack yeah jack and us make sure he knows that we're, we're helping pump his company um so yeah that was the official cash app read thanks for coming on board guys matt we've had a week a lot of a lot of topics lined up wait can i just that's the dream in the making that we got cash app as a sponsor it is they they gave us they gave us a read but i would just say it's a bank in an app allows you to send money free to, to anyone you want yeah, and you could buy Bitcoin for cheaper than Coinbase. I mean, this is like post ad Marty, like just regular citizen Marty here. Very bullish on 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 Square and Cash App in particular. Bank of the future in my mind. Like what they're doing with the Cash Card in particular, it's the best user. Again, I'm a big UX whore, and it's an, an incredible UX experience, as a user experience, in my opinion. I have a nice bag of their stock too. I'm up like forty percent. Yeah, it's like the best move of the bear market was buying Square. <laughs> it's true. Um, okay, shall we begin? I think so. A lot of topics this week. A lot of uh, a lot of disparate news. A little, little, a lot of headlines. A lot of clickbait stuff. Yeah. So let's start with uh, not clickbait. Yeah, this isn't clickbait. We'll start with what you covered in your bent this morning. This is the opposite of clickbait, uh, and I wrote about it because it went very underreported in my mind. I don't know if I'm exaggerating a little bit or you thought this way too, but uh, so on Sunday, I don't know if you freaks notice if you follow him or her on Twitter, at uh, SamuraiDev, uh, one of the Samurai Wallet developers, sort of teased that they were experimenting with mesh network transactions on the Bitcoin testnet. So... Uh, they they were showing testnet 
uh, links to testnet transaction details uh, and claiming that those transactions were sent via mesh network uh, using the GoTennis software and hardware, I would imagine. Um, so to me, this is a huge news item and, and it sort of uh, highlights that Bitcoin is very innovative. And uh, with this move in particular, I would argue that Bitcoin has taken uh, a bigger step towards decentralization than people realize because uh, one big form of centralization in Bitcoin in particular that people don't talk about too often is uh, internet service providers uh, being a choke point. Uh, most most transactions, most Bitcoiners, I would yeah, what about this apartment? This apartment, you have, what, two internet provider choices? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if those two decide to start fucking with you, like, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. You have VPNs, you have Tor, but mesh nets are another tool there. Yeah, they're just a parallel sort of way of relaying transactions. That's It's a good fail-safe to have that uh, basically makes Bitcoin more robust in the long run. And what Samurai Wallet is doing with GoTenna right now, I would argue, is going very underreported. So I wanted to write about it today. So I'm actually a huge fan of both. Um, I I originally bought the original Gotenna because I was in the like the amateur mesh networking community, and Gotenna was like one of the first products that was a polished commercial product, and that was a Kickstarter, and it didn't have end-to-end encryption. So I immediately like was like that sucks, and then they released one with end-to-end encryption, and that's the new one. And basically the idea is, is you connect it with Bluetooth to a phone. You install the Gotenna app on your phone, and then even if you don't have cell service or Wi-Fi or anything, you can send messages and via multimedia SMS, and correct? stuff. It's not via SMS. It's via these radio nodes. waves. Are they sending radio waves? Each, each one of these devices, I brought one of mine here because I have four of them ready to set up as relays. Uh, each one of these communicates with each other up to a mile, sometimes even farther if it's rural, but like about a mile. Um, and then they can hop off of each other. So if you have a bunch of them, they, they can hop, 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 and you can send messages in between each other. But then the last hop, if they're connected to the internet, then it'll go out to the, to the real, to the real world. And then it can go to anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. So basic, so then, so then we had Gotenna, which they were already doing awesome things. And then we have Samurai wallet, which is the best wallet on Android. And around consensus last year, they announced this yeah, project that May they were 16th. working together. I first wrote about this project on May 16th. And I was fucking ecstatic. I was so excited. It was like the coolest thing ever because I had these two companies that I, I absolutely love and they were, they were teaming up together. And uh, I mean, I was showing you a tweet earlier that when I first got my new Gotenna, the first thing I did was I took a picture of it. This was in 2017. I took a picture to it and I tweeted it out to Gotenna. I was like, when Bitcoin? And I, so I was super, super excited. So the way this setup is, is now you have the Gotenna device that you purchase, then you download the Gotenna app, then you download the Samurai Wallet app, and then you download a third app called Transaction Tenna. That, that's the third app. TX Tenna. Right. And right now it's testnet, but the idea is you can send a Bitcoin transaction, you have no internet access, but you have one of these, and it'll bounce off of those to relays until it hits internet. And then once it hits internet, it goes out to the biggest broadcast to the, the formal Bitcoin network. Yeah. So like if you're in Puerto Rico is a big example now, like they have rolling blackouts and communication failures after the hurricane and Gotenna allows you to send messages and coordinate uh, without those networks. And now with the partnership with Samurai, you'll be able to send Bitcoin transactions. Much harder to block too, obviously. Pretty crazy shit, dude. It's really exciting. Pretty cypherpunk future shit. Yeah, I, it just adds to Bitcoin's anti-fragility and, and resiliency and, right? and that went makes under, it hard to block. It went very underreported in my mind. Like People aren't paying attention to the right things. I think this is, this is what it highlighted to me, at least. Well, the things that I find the most exciting and fun are the, in this space are usually the things that aren't, you know... Reported on the most. Exactly. They're not as, they're not as flashy. Yeah, but again... This like, does seem kind of flashy. But it's testnet, too. I think people... You know, and there, when you wrote about it in the Ben today, it had a lot of traction. He did it on a weekend, right? Yeah. I missed it. I follow him. I follow Samurai. I follow Gotenna. I'm a huge fanboy. Didn't realize they did the testnet transaction until you're bent this morning. Yeah. I'm um, always watching. Coindesk is going to cover it now because your bent went, you know, went up on, on Twitter pretty pretty well today. So Coindesk will probably cover it pretty soon. So there'll be some traction. But 
it's really when people get to start using it, you know, and and one of the things that makes it really useful is we need people to set up relay nodes. So like I have four of them and I'm going to, I'm going to, you plug them into an outlet and you set them up and they just, they just act as a bounce point. So it just expands the network. So with this Bitcoin relay system, do you need to download a specific software on your GoTenna device? Yeah, everyone, every, everyone's phone, I'm pretty sure, needs to have, or at least the exit node has to have transaction Tenna. Okay. So the node that, so if you have a relay node, it's just not connected to a phone even, right? Mm -hmm. It's just plugged into an outlet. It receives something from one GoTenna and it just sends it out to the next GoTenna. Okay. Right? But you need a phone. There needs to be a phone at the end that's running the transaction Tenna app that that's actually broadcasting it to the Bitcoin network. That's like, oh, there's a Bitcoin transaction that I need to send out to the internet, right? Yeah. Um, but that could be like six relays down the line. You know, it doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. Yeah. You, the more important thing is the relay nodes. So and then if one or two people, you know, four or five people are adding their their transaction Tenna nodes in there for the exit. I think this is what I'm trying to get solid. at. So could. Other GoTenna users who have nothing to do with Bitcoin, don't care about Bitcoin, don't even know that TX Tenna exists, are they contributing to this relay without even knowing it? Yeah, I think it's still relays. It's okay. just data. Cool. Boss. But the transaction Tenna app is is translating it into GoTenna data and feeding it into the GoTenna mesh mm -hmm. and then doing the opposite on the on the backside. On encrypting it. And, yeah, that's my yeah. understanding. Interesting. I don't I usually don't play around with these things until they're live. Yeah. But I've been, you know, following on the on the outside. Fascinating stuff. Uh, kudos to the Samurai devs, Gotenna. And it looks like Laurent, who I'm just going to throw in with the Samurai team at this point. Um, we're working on this and, and displaying it on Sunday. Very underreported. Uh, again, this is the type of news that I, in particular, look for is this sort of fundamental, anything that adds to Bitcoin's anti-fragility, like you said. And I think this is a huge step. It's some of the biggest in, news of the year, probably. Yeah, um, in that direction. And it's cool that it's just bolted on top. You know, there's no, you don't have to change any, no one's changing anything with protocol or anything. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's just uh, figuring out a different way in which really to cool. relay the transactions, which is dope. And we need, so we have the satellites. Now we have a satellite. We have the internet service providers. Now we have mesh network. And who knows if Nick Zabo and Elaine Yu are still working on that that rate, short short term radio frequency where they're like bouncing it off the ionosphere. And then we have uh, SneakerNet. SneakerNet. I don't know about SneakerNet. Yeah, you just like load up a signed transaction on a USB drive, and then you walk over to something that's internet, you know, and then you connect it. Interesting. Or like OpenDime. Yeah. OpenDime is like SneakerNet trustless. Okay. Yeah, so the the more avenues through which we can relay transactions, the better. And uh, again, shout out to the TX Tenna team. Uh, next topic, you want to introduce it? Uh, I mean, let's uh, just hit let's hit Prime Minister Muscat of uh, of Malta mm -hmm. was at the UN General Assembly, and he he spoke there this week. Yeah, and he said. Uh, a future with cryptocurrency and it is inevitable. It is inevitable. Or something yeah. along that line. Yeah, blockchain and cryptocurrency. He didn't use the word Bitcoin. I I, I missed I mistweeted that that he used the word Bitcoin, but he he said cryptocurrency and blockchain, and and he said distributed ledger technology. So he used all the buzzes, buzzwords, but you know Bitcoin was implied. Was the most PC he could be while taking it to the establishment. Yeah, I mean they uh, they passed friendly regulation. I think we talked about this in another episode. Uh, and Binance has gone there, and Bittrex has gone there. Uh, and, I mean, he's pumping his bags a little bit, but that's 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 the cool part of, of Bitcoin is is that every holder has that incentive to, to try and promote uh, Bitcoin adoption and, right. and improve it. Right. And it's funny that it's a s small island economy like Malta. Well, that's usually, I think, that's who we'll see do it first. Yeah. Like these countries that have a lot to gain, um, and then the countries that have a lot to lose will, you know, the major countries will start coming in. I mean, you have you have to imagine. All you have to do is net benefit if you convince just one one world leader in the room. Right. Exactly. And slowly but surely, it is happening. Uh, I say this a lot on Twitter and in the podcast. Slowly but surely, Bitcoin is creeping further and further into the minds of the masses. Uh, it's just a matter of time. 
we're we're getting close to a nation state publicly endorsing Bitcoin. Uh, I would say within the next two years. You heard it here first. Um, but yeah, but I mean, he basically just publicly endorsed it, right? You mean you major countries? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think Bitcoin in particular. So. Yeah. I think like a Japan or South Korea would be my guess. Yeah. Or like a Latin America, like Argentina, maybe. Is that a major? Are we, are we, okay. I would consider I could it. see any of the, a lot of the Latin American countries. Yeah. Or like a Russia. Russia is pretty major. I just, J- Japan, South Korea is a big one for me. Japan's already made a legal currency. Yeah. I mean, Japan, I mean, Mount Gox, right? Yeah. Japan's been at the forefront for a while now. Um. Yeah. So, world leaders pumping uh crypto. Yeah, that was just a quick, quick nod. I okay. think that was pretty interesting. Um, and then after that, uh, your one of your favorite topics, uh, Sia Sia. How do you say it? Oh, oh, I don't know. A C. I called Sia coin. I called Sia coin too. Sia, but I might be called Sia Sia coin. Yeah, I think they're officially uh phasing out all other ASICs except for the. Yeah, they've own. doubled down. They've doubled down on their. We talked about it in a previous pod. Uh, I think it might have been the first one we recorded. Because I, it's a very, very interesting case study. Uh, the devs created their own ASIC manufacturer, and then they were beat into the punch in development. So now InnoSilicon has the best miner, and Bitmain has a miner, and like their miner is about to be released. I'm pretty sure it hasn't even been released yet, and it's just completely underpowered and not profitable compared to these other miners. So what they're doing is they have a kill switch in their miners that can switch the algo, and they're going to switch the algo so every miner except their own is invalidated. And they wrote up like a a big blog post on it, and uh, it seems pretty anti-capitalistic. Yeah, I mean, the or thing is, is, is miners are making a long-term investment decision. It's very, you know, it's capital intensive. You're putting a lot of money up front, and and hardware manufacturers are doing the same thing. And if you if you fuck with their revenue projections and you brick their hardware and you have the dev team that's doing all the code also competing against them, like they're not going to invest in protecting your network. And you're just going to the result is going to be an insecure, um, centralized network. Mm -hmm. And and it's just extremely short sighted. But it's kind of nice because uh, at least we got this case study to point to when it all goes to shit. Yeah. And you have some very interesting thoughts as to how the. Uh, what's the company around Sia? Obelisk? I think Nebulous is the Nebul- parent company. Mm-hmm. Then they have like Sia Tech, which does the dev underneath Nebulous. And then they have Obelisk is the ASIC manufacturer. Yeah. But they're all the same people. Yeah, but there's... And uh, they're all American-based. Yeah, exactly. So there's very centralizing... Oh, yeah. Sia is like decentralized cloud storage, by the way. Yeah. They compete with like Dropbox and Google Drive. But a government agency could easily show up to somebody within that three company holding company it's just uh, the same like five people yeah and uh and say hey you're, you're gonna need to turn this off we know you guys can do it you bricked all those asics yeah i mean the big extremes are are child porn and uh copyright materials right because that's usually what they go after for any kind of, of file sharing or storage yeah uh service and how is a judge going to be believe them when they say, oh, we have no control over the network when they're, they're the only ASIC manufacturer and they're the ones who are pushing out the dev code and they obviously have unilateral control over the network, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they might skate by, you know, but I, that's not the way you should be doing things. We shall see. Oh, and they said the community supports it. But like they're bricking everyone's miners, like all the miners and the hardware miners, the hardware manufacturers don't support it. Like it's impossible for them to be. Why would they ever support bricking their own hardware? Yeah. So that's just all it's, it's that reminds me of the Ethereum DAO when they returned the DAO. They said it was a community thing and they just like pushed it through. They, If you're going to push through a fork centrally, you're always going to say it's a community supported decision. Yeah. I mean, it's all optics at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're digging themselves a dig, uh, deeper hole, it sounds like. Uh, what do we have here next? Shapeshift. You are more abreast to this situation than I am. I, uh, I actively avoided it just because I didn't feel like reading up on a, a shit storm between Eric Voorhees and the Wall Street Journal. Right, so Shapeshift, I, mean, I think every, pretty much all of our listeners know what Shapeshift is. It allows you to, uh, 
exchange different cryptocurrencies uh, directly between each other. Like a lot of these altcoins, the big thing with Shapeshift was a, a lot of these altcoins only have Bitcoin pairs. So you have to buy Bitcoin first with them and then sell them for another altcoin. Like Shapeshift allowed you to do like altcoin to altcoin, jump between chains, and you didn't have to have an account. Uh, and they, that the countless part was a big aspect, right? But mm-hmm. recently, Eric Voorhees, uh, the CEO, announced that they're going to require accounts in KYC. So finally, there was, you know, they became too big and there was a lot of pressure on them and they, they had to comply. Since then, Wall Street Journal has released like a hit piece on them that was like, you're a money laundering operation. And Shapeshift has since responded. And that response was released yesterday, I think. Yesterday, I believe, yes. Uh, And they were like, you know, this is bullshit. It was less than $9 million worth of transactions. And then they... And they countered it. It was a pretty strong counter. But one of the things that was interesting to me was in the process of countering it, they basically admitted what a lot of us have said for, for a long time, which is they, they pretend, they give the appearance appearance of a privacy-focused exchange. Don't use an exchange that requires an account. We don't have an account here, so you can jump between chains and we won't track you. And in this response, they admitted to using blockchain analysis on all of their trades. They explained how they all of their transactions are public, so anyone can track them across chains. And they admitted to blacklisting addresses, which is like a huge... No, no. Hu- yeah, huge issue regards to fungibility. Uh, are they... Were they seizing funds? I don't know, like, how they were blacklisting. Because if, if you sent a transaction where they... Could you hold funds on Shapeshift? No, but but the only time they would know is when you actually sent the transaction to Shapeshift. Yeah. So they, I wonder if they were returning the funds or if they were just holding were on they, to them once they were blacklisted. And were they given a blacklist or... Well, no, they said they, they do their own blockchain analysis that is more accurate than a name and address, which I don't think is true that you can have it more accurate than a name and address. But just that they have that kind of balls to say that, it must be a pretty intense operation. And then they said they've cooperated with 30 investigations with governments. Uh, you know, I just, it's just all in one article just basically all in one blog post just basically said like we don't give a shit about privacy <laughs> was 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 my takeaway i mean like one of the things they could do that would really easily hurt these chain analysis companies from tracking you across chain is what a lot of mixers did in the early days which is a delay so when you do your transaction you say you know i'm going to send uh bitcoin and 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 you're going to send me shitcoin you could say like don't send the shitcoin for 27 minutes. And then every single shapeshift transaction, it would be a different amount of time that the actual next thing would come. So that alone would be huge. And it's like the simplest UX change mm-hmm. and doesn't change any of their auditability or any of the other things they like. And you could definitely make like an efficiency argument like, hey, we're doing this for efficiency purposes. Uh, well, that's what they said, right? They want it to be instant, as instant as possible. No, but I'm saying even if you delayed the transaction for like batching purposes and stuff. Oh, that like would that. be good too. If they just yeah. manually did random batches yeah. when they sent out transactions, like they could have done a lot of things to make it harder to track. But instead, all they cared about was marketing themselves as private while actually doing the exact opposite, leaking a ton of inf- information. I mean, Chain Analysis sent out an email to all their members that they could. The, uh, that they, they could specifically track shapeshift, right? Shapeshift to Monero. This was like two months ago. Yeah, uh, I, for- I forgot about that. Yeah, so so you know, I think it was a huge privacy leak, and hopefully, you know, not too many people got got screwed by that. Uh, and now you know, going forward, I mean, now that they're adding KYC, no one was going to think they were private anyway. But it, it's a pretty it was, a, and no one's talking. No one's really talking about that aspect. Everyone's commending them on the great response. Uh, but I think it's there's a much more negative outlook on that. Yeah, I decided to stay out of that for a reason, but I did not know it was uh, that as bad as you just described. It's a shame. Uh, for Eric Voorhees in particular, see how... And I don't like talking about individuals, but um, for somebody who was such a bastion of uh, self-sovereignty and complete freedom 
in the early days. Yeah, major, major. Sort of had to, and I would say I, I don't. I mean, I don't want to say I fault him, but his hand has sort of been forced by by the powers that be. He has way more money to lose now. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, That's why centralization is is important to avoid. Yeah. Because once you have it, it's really easy to to take it down. So like, even though Shapeshift is going to accept KYC, there's Bisk. We got Bisk is a decentralized Shapeshift mm-hmm. uh, where you can basically do the same thing uh, through an app on your computer. That's B I S Q. And I think um, it's B I S Q dot network, or it might be dot info. I'm not really? sure. Really? Well, check. he's gonna ch- he's gonna check real quick. Bisk is a really nice product. Um, you can use. You know, you, all these centralized things will go up, you know, and they'll, and then they'll have to do KYC or shut down. And you, so right now you have Binance doesn't do KYC. Yeah, it's Bisc.network. Bisc.network. B-I-S-Q.network is, is probably your best option. Their liquidity is not great, but neither was Shapeshift. So there you go. Yeah, it's, and that's the one thing with liquidity, though. The more people that use the Bisc app, the more liquidity that comes. Um, so power numbers, people. It's another free ad. Use it. Um yeah, so that was interesting to see this week in particular. A lot of people uh, were on the side of Eric Voorhees. And it was pretty scummy what the Wall Street Journal did to sort of frame their initial questions a certain way and then completely just try to trash shapeshift. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal pretended, according to the response, the Wall Street Journal pretended they were doing an article on the greater crypto market. And they reached out to shapeshift about five months ago and they've been talking about it. And. Then this piece came out. It was under completely false pretenses. They thought they were doing a completely different article. Yeah. So that's really fucked up. But I mean, at this point, what do you expect? I'm not, you know, who can be surprised? Don't trust anybody. Not even us freaks, especially us. Uh, one broker. Did you ever use one broker back in the day? No. Neither did I. One broker allowed you to trade stocks with Bitcoin. Um, it was based overseas. I'm not sure where it was based and only had Bitcoin deposits and withdrawals. <laughs> and you could go long or short, you know, like crazy leverage. It's an interesting broker dealer model. I can't imagine the logistical headache they had on the back end there. It was a bucket shop with Bitcoin as the rails. And I think, and you know, we see a lot of them. Simple FX still exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I think Binance is a bucket shop, but they don't, they don't do securities. <laughs> Uh, but the SEC shut one broker down. They got him, and they they charged the S- the CEO. They seized the site. All funds are locked up. People, some people were able to get their money out like right as it happened because they were having issues closing the wallet. But uh, yeah, about, it's all shut down. This is what happens to centralized exchanges. Do we centralized know? Projects do we know how much was seized? I'm not sure. Yeah, it was a decent amount. They, you know, they had just added the weed stocks. <laughs> which is like there you go you got you combine two bubbles together and uh, you could go down. like 50x on Tilray or whatever the the weed stock that that's been Tilray? going up. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce any of these things. That's why I like keyboard. Yeah, it's a good way to uh to compound returns there. Is just roll your crypto returns into the pot stocks in the last 3 months. <laughs> and unless and then so actually I think one broker had a cool feature where you could like mirror trades. Where yeah, you could, you could like, follow traders and and it just put a portion of your money into what they were, every trade they were doing. Yeah, and then they got a cut, which is kind of a cool model. It was a uh, it was a pretty hot site a few years ago. I remember it was uh, a lot of reflings going around. For yeah, that. people love it. People loved it, you know, and uh, and it got shut down. Got shut down, uh, and it took them two years, two years the investigation. So that gives you a little bit of timeline how long it takes the SEC to shut down these places. Yeah, that was. Um, What's the one lawyer's name? Jason. Jason, is it? I retweeted him. I'm going to find it real quick so I can give proper attribution because I think that's important to to correctly attribute data sources. You know, I do my best in the newsletter. I'm not perfect. Uh, it's very important. The thing is, all these centralized projects, if they get too big, you know, they're going to get shut down. If you have money on them. You're, you're risking your money, but the overall system is fine. It's going to be like whack-a-mole, you know? Yeah. So the tweet I was referencing is from a Jake Shervinsky. Uh, he's a lawyer. The, underco- the undercover if FBI agent who investigated one broker bought his first unregistered security-based swap on March 30th, 2016. So two and a half years ago at this point. Uh, the government didn't take action until two and a half years later. 
the majority of ICOs, uh, in parentheses, unregistered securities, were issued in the second half of 2017. Buckle up, folks. So uh, I guess you can, using the same timeline, take a gander to the no, future. No, it's going to take them even longer because, yeah. like, one broker is easy. They're used to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The ICOs is like a little bit of a new a world. More complex. But it take the point is it take it takes a while to prosecute these things and and anything that's centralized is and especially U.S. based one broker wasn't even U.S. based but especially if it's U.S. based, um, you're it, fucked. Yeah, eventually they'll, they'll you're you're just you're sitting there you're a target you know you might skate by like like I said before especially if you're smaller. Yeah, um, the long reach of the law will eventually catch up to you. Uh, this is why decentralization matters. You know, this is this is why it exists in the first place. Why POW is important. Yeah. So we're halfway into this. I think we're through all of our topics. We're only thirty minutes in. No, we didn't get through all our topics. No. No, of course not. We have we have a ton of topics here. Coinbase bundle. Oh. How do you feel about that? Pretty terrible. <laughs> not a big fan. Personally, I think it's. Uh, what is the Coinbase bundle? So Coinbase, they it's basically an index of I think they're indexing it based off of overall market cap. Correct. And a top five. It's their coins. Yeah, the, the coins that they offer on their exchange, which they're opening up. They just had a Google, uh, Google Doc that anybody could sign up and and ask them to pump their coins. Right, for them. but right now it's it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, and Litecoin. And Litecoin. Yeah, so they are offering basically an index product to their retail investors where they can get exposure to these five coins in particular in one foul swoop. I think that is idiotic. Uh, I do not think you can compare these quote-unquote cryptocurrencies uh, at an even ratio. I don't think they're really comparable in what they're trying to achieve, uh, where they are from a technological perspective, and uh, and then indexing these together and selling them as one product, I think, is a disservice to all humans everywhere. Uh, because I I do think there is a needed level of understanding uh, that is necessary to invest wisely in the space. And if uh, Coinbase is leading retail customers to assume that all of these cryptocurrencies can be compared on the same merit, I think that is a, a grave misjustice. That's it's- all I have to say about that. <laughs> I, I really like that. I, I completely agree on pretty much everything you said. Uh, it's not a true index. It should be noted. It's it's not it's not reweighting itself. Basically, you put in how much instead of buying Bitcoin or buying Ethereum on Coinbase, you go to the Coinbase bundle and you put in however much money you're buying, and it splits it up percentage wise among all of their coins, and then deposits those balances in your wallet. So it's not gonna if they add a new coin or if the market caps change, like the value of the oh, they're not like readjusting the index or anything. No, I mean they they are like adding coins and readjusting. So they're actually not selling you an index. It's not an index. It's just like a one click percentage buy across all their assets. I didn't even know it was that bad. Yeah. So holy shit. And then the the main problem I have is if you trading altcoins. Bitcoin is already risky. Trading altcoins is even more risky. Long-term hold of altcoins is is not an advised strategy. You know, if you want to trade short-term, so be it. But it's high, high risk. And this is not the way to do it. And then the second thing is, they, the, the altcoins they offer are like complete shit. Like it's one thing, I, you know how I feel about Ethereum. Like I don't own any Ethereum. But if you want to own Ethereum, I completely understand. You know, they have I this whole, too. they have a huge, you know, huge base community, whatever, tons of projects being, it's, it's, it's relatively top tier, right? Litecoin, complete trash. Bitcoin Cash, even worse. ETC, I, I, I don't even, they were just lazy. That's why it got added. And Litecoin's only there because Charlie uh, was CTO. Of yeah, Coinbase, exactly. So he pumped it. He he got it in. And he that's he, not talked about enough either. That's uh, I think we talked about we talked about it on my first pod when you were interviewing me. Yeah, yeah. That's uh. I mean, I don't have anything against Charlie Lee in particular, but it's pretty fucked up that they let that they 
listed his coin when First. he was CTO of the company. And he announced it on Twitter ahead of time. Yeah. He bought, you know, he was buying a ton of it. He kept saying like, oh, when, when Coinbase adds it, it's going to be like way higher. And then the whole time I was, a bunch of us were like, this is the Coinbase effect. People are signing on to Coinbase. They see there's three options, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Uh, they see Litecoin as the cheapest. And it has this like Coinbase effect where there's a lot of uneducated retail that buys through Coinbase. So the price goes up because they see that the price is, is cheap. The unit price is cheaper. And then they, they buy that. And I said, as soon as a new coin gets added to Coinbase, that effect gets diminished, especially if it's a cheaper coin, right? Mm -hmm. And then he sold he sold at the top like a week before they added Bitcoin Cash, right? A week before they mm -hmm. added the next coin, he got out. So he, he got in before they he, he joined Coinbase as CTO, also founder of Litecoin, got it added, started rumors that it was going to get added, it got, got added. it added, went to the top, sold near the top, and then the next coin was added. Yeah. All in a matter of, of 10 months. Litecoin's like a fascinating months. story. Litecoin's the classic ride ride somebody coattails story. This is an overvalued testnet. Yeah. Um, no, nah, but it's interesting. Yeah, nothing against Charlie Lee. I just think it was a little wide. The, the nature of the way Litecoin got it added to Coinbase, how he dumped at the top and uh, is getting getting by scot-free is, is very wild, wild west in my mind. Uh, very chaotic. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to get away with it. It's crazy. Yeah, I think he will too. It's absolutely crazy to me. In the future, somebody else won't be able to do it, but he's going to he's going to get away with Coinbase it. Coinbase has got like a little bit of a regular regulatory capture thing going on there. They they're like a little bit protected. I mean, before the Bitcoin Cash uh, announcement where they they ninja launched it, like it it spiked beforehand. Like that information uh, leaked out. I have um, I have DMs in my inbox of people who were speaking with. Yeah, exactly. people on certain product teams that that knew things were going to happen far in advance. Um, but I'm not going to get into any specifics. Uh, where do we go from here? Oh, but anyway, my other problem with the bundle is it increases that Coinbase effect. So basically, any coin they add, instead of, and I think that's detrimental to Coinbase because it, it it creates those situations where there's pumps on addition if they control too much of the market. So they should be trying to reduce that Coinbase effect, where if you put a cheap coin on Coinbase, uneducated retail will just pump it up. Uh, but instead, with a bundle product, you're actually increasing it because you're creating a base buying power. If someone's doing like an auto weekly buy on a on Coinbase bundle, then you know any shit coin you add in there is automatically and and the the less valuable, less liquid ones are going to pump more percentage wise on the Coinbase bundle, right? So they like literally are trying their best to increase the Coinbase effect instead of doing the opposite, which is, I think, both detrimental. The space will be fine, but it's detrimental to the space short term and it's detrimental to Coinbase in the long run. Yeah, it's, I mean, you freaks know my beef with Coinbase. I'm, I've not been a big fan for a while. I was for a while. That's where I bought my first Bitcoin. Um, but again, I... Th I I have said this before. I've written it before. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but I think Brian Armstrong just hates Bitcoin for some reason. He's a big Ethereum fan. That's why. Big Ethereum fan, but like literally just like hates Bitcoin. He won't. He had what was it? He had a tweet a couple of weeks ago where he mentioned Bitcoin and he deleted. And he had to it. quickly delete it because he didn't say. He said he slipped up and said Bitcoin instead of crypto, and had to recraft this tweet to take Bitcoin out of it. Like it's blowing my mind. And and Brian Armstrong in particular, somebody who supported. Going all the way back, Bitcoin Classic, Bitcoin XT, BU, Segwit 2X, 2X yeah. like New York Agreement, like just never really aligned with the hardcore users. And I think a lot of the moves, I mean, this is all conjecture. I can't prove this with anything, but I think a lot of the moves that Coinbase has been making as a company are in spite of Bitcoin success and in an attempt to sort of drag it down and delay it. I mean, I think from an exchange point of view, you benefit the most from a, a multi-coin kind of world and he's specifically you can tell he's trying to position himself as like the ethereum they want they want complete control of the the ethereum marketplace so they they got paradox which was the ethereum so-called decentralized exchange even though it's owned by coinbase um, Coinbase is basically just like an a16z uh portfolio consolidation company at this point <laughs> well, yeah they bought like. earn Bought uh, Earn Paradox as a portfolio company. 
But uh, yeah, I I just I don't recommend. I used to recommend Coinbase like you, and now I recommend Cash App. It's the best on ramp. Cash App, official sponsor. They did not ask us to trash Coinbase, and no, they probably wouldn't like that. They but probably yeah. wouldn't like that. So we're not going to associate that trashing with the Cash App at all. But that's what I recommend now. That cash this. that trashing was brought to you by McAllen, who has still not sponsored <laughs> us. They better be careful. We might have to. We might have to switch whiskeys. No, and I'm an asshole. I was talking earlier in the podcast about how I don't like talking about people, and I just came at Brian Armstrong. Was, yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty harsh. It was pr- poor form. I tend not to go after bald guys. Like I feel bad for them already. Well, I'm a bald guy. All right, we don't need your sympathy. Okay, I'll tell you that. Okay, next topic. I'll I'll lead us off since you think we're done with topics. Um, EOS has absolutely shitty incentives. <laughs> Collusion. Yeah, Proven, so, right? Yeah, so we had a what a blog post came out with a bunch of uh, supposed leaks that Huobi or Huobi or I always just say Huobi, Huobi, uh, the exchange, <laughs> the exchange in uh, Asia was colluding to back certain block producers, which is basically the the way EOS works is they have twenty one uh, stakers that get delegated votes to get those spots. And then they have like maybe like 80, 80 nodes, 80 stakers that are like standby and get a little bit less money. And then everyone gets diluted and those people get paid a shit ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was collusion. And of course, that's it's like literally how the incentives were, were designed. Uh, of course, people were going to be buying votes and yeah. making backdoor deals and getting their friends in. This is actually what I like about EOS. Uh, when I had Joe Looney on the podcast, uh, one of the developers from Rare Pepe's from back in the day, Counterparty and Rare Pepe's developer, uh, he basically described EOS as taking Ethereum to its extreme and sort of expediting the process through which Ethereum is, is going through, where EOS is just openly admitting, hey, we're pretty much completely centralized uh, we're going to have uh, 21 nodes, and we're going to coordinate, and don't worry, DPS is perfect, it's going to work. So he said, I believe it was like had to be like February at this point, or February, March, when he said this, like, it's just going to help people realize that like proof of stake like is unworkable in the long run, because every proof of stake system will trend towards an EOS-like system. So the faster that EOS proves that this does not work, the better in my mind. So thank you, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> It's uh, it did it does put projects like Ethereum in an interesting predicament because the trade off is usually centralization versus efficiency cost. Uh, so if you want like like EOS transactions are quote unquote free, and that comes at the cost of centralization, mm-hmm. and also they use the inflation to di- to to basically subsidize the the fees. So it it puts Ethereum in this predicament where they're already not as decentralized as Bitcoin, but they were making like half trade-offs for I, I capacity, I would say, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily even efficiency. And then EOS just took that to a whole nother level. So they're not centralized enough to compete with EOS, but they're not decentralized enough to compete with Bitcoin. Right, so they're and stuck their in this ultimate, weird... yeah, their ultimate, they're trending towards centralization. So the ultimate trend is, is, is to what EOS has developed into. Yeah, which is a complete conclusion, conclu- uh, collusion, uh, filled scam. It only took like three months for, for like collusion, uh, rumors to leak, and not even rumors for collusion to be proven to be happening. I mean, everything about that ICO is. Just Sketchy. like top-notch scamming. Like people call too many projects in the space scams, uh, but like EOS was just. <laughs> I mean, it was like probably wash trading in their in their ICO. A lot it of, was set up that way. A lot of people that you talk to behind the scenes think it was like an overt money launder money laundering scheme. Yeah, that's what I think it is. Was yeah. I, I? I think it was a way to wash, wash cryptocurrency profits into, uh, actually recognizable income in a jurisdiction that had no income tax. Right. So it was like, it was ideal. Yeah. Um, a year long raise really weird way that each no, it was, round it was set up was for washing. Yeah. 
and and it probably has it seems like it has very centralized coin ownership which just increases that that collusion tendency and and uh oligarchy oligarchiness or whatever it's very oligarchy yeah yeah it is i would say the definition of an oligarchy yeah um oligarchy yeah hate pronunciation well, I got my Philly accent. You got your New York accent. Okay, anyway, fuck EOS. That's funny. People act surprised. Um, <laughs> Vitalik, uh, Vitalik actually commented on it. What He's like, saying? oh, I, I knew this was going to happen, but not so soon. So I just thought that was ironic. Right? Which is... It's like, uh, how do you not see this is eventually what? Well, it's actually the opposite of how I feel about Ethereum, right? I was like, I, I know this is going to happen, but it's not happening as soon as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. It's just not as... It just hasn't been leaked yet. You know, we need... Well, first of all, Ethereum hasn't switched to... Prove it. There's been a lot of talk about proof-of-stake versus proof-of-work this week. Yeah. and it. I, I went on a little rant this morning. I had to. Yeah, I was... Go on. If you are going to make an argument for proof-of-stake and against proof-of-work, I only ask that you do not lead your argument with the faulty assumption that Bitcoin wastes energy and is wasteful and bad for the environment. That is a terrible, fuddy premise that has been debunked many times over, specifically in the last six months. And it's just laziness on a form of like rhetorical argument to lead with that assumption. So that's all I ask. I agree, agree completely. I'm actually, I'm really happy people are finally talking about this. Uh, we, we talked on, we've talked about this before on previous podcasts and I have, uh, my domain pow versus pos where you could com where you could see uh, hugo's writing on it uh which is really good uh proof of stake is is not will never be as secure as proof of work proof of work is is really the the major breakthrough here how it's combined into the system um and what we, they use the environment bullshit as the as the Crux public the facing, argument. but they use it as the public facing marketing, right? But really, the benefit of proof of stake is is two things. Um, if you're a major coin holder, you get to maintain your you get to you get to maintain your control over the network and dilute everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives you a lot of control, and it's really easy to pump because in, in proof of work, you have miners who have like real costs. They ha- they have to pay electricity. They have to pay rent. They have to pay labor. All these different things. So they're constantly selling. Bitcoin. Their meters running twenty four seven three sixty five. Yeah. They're constantly selling. There's just constant downward pressure on on the price and constant liquidity entering the market that anyone can purchase. But in proof of stake, their expenses are are relatively minimal in in comparison. Right, the actual expenses of operating the stake node are are, are minimal. Uh, so, so they're able to control that supply and not have to sell much. And then that reduces the float and allows the thing to pump to fucking kingdom come. So like, that's the, those are the really, the two main reasons they use it. And then they just pretend that it's it's because of the environment. Yeah. Nick Carter made a good point in that thread I had this morning where he's never seen a serious environmentalist, like argue for proof of stake systems. Like this is just a concern troll that proof of stake cheerleaders sort of hang on to and cling on to. And again, it is lazy and is wrong. It's a bad argument. Like it doesn't make sense. Like we talked about this in various episodes prior, like Lorenz proof of work series, like basically proved that Bitcoin and is becoming more efficient over time. When you take into regards the amount of economic activity that is securing on a block by block basis like this is undeniable and it's it's not waste because it's powering a, a, the base of a global financial you know network and and it's and it's mostly sourced from excess and stranded energy that wouldn't be used otherwise because it's the cheapest energy in the world so in a lot of ways it incentivizes uh, both energy efficiency and and renewable energy production. And this is something I actually wrote about this yesterday. Uh, Satoshi refuted this FUD eight years ago in 2010. I'm pulling up. Uh, it's just going to keep getting repeated every year. It's always it's just and we it's haven't funny seen that anything. Satoshi, that's the thing about I don't want a Satoshi hobnob here, but he was so succinct and so direct in his responses. He basically destroyed the. Uh, Bitcoin mining is 
disastrous for the environment argument in 274 words accounted individually you wouldn't be able to that would be a thread i'm not going to read wouldn't I'm, be a tweet. <laughs> I'm not going to read all 275 words i'll read the first thank uh, you the first four sentences um it's the same situation as gold and gold mining. The marginal cost of gold mining tends to stay near the price of gold. Gold mining is a waste, but that waste is far less than the utility of having gold available as a medium of exchange. I think the case will be the same for Bitcoin. The utility of the exchanges made possible by Bitcoin will far exceed the cost of electricity used. Therefore, not having Bitcoin would be the net waste. Yeah, it's a net benefit. Exactly. I mean, obviously, we all believe this. I'm recording a podcast here. You know, like I've de- devoted my my adult life to this. Yeah, our reputations in our adult life. It, my thirties are approaching quickly. It's starting <laughs> to dawn on me. Um, and I've spent basically all of my twenties in golf with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a net benefit. God damn it! No, it is. And again, going back to the crux of this rant, it's if you're going to make the POS argument, don't be fucking lazy. Okay, but the thing is, we've been arguing about this for years. No one has a major POS implementation out that's holding a lot of value yet. Tezos has just launched on their mainnet. They, they're they being pushed by a ton of VCs. There's a ton of money behind it. And uh, and, and they're live now. Uh, we have a bunch of other projects that I'm... It's hard to follow, like Definity and stuff like Cosmos. that. Cosmos. And, and Ethereum is wants to make this switch. So, so we need one of them to fail. So we could, so we could be like, "Told you so." Like that's what we're waiting for right now. We're just gonna be, everyone's just gonna go, go back and forth, you know. So I, I would say, place your bets, and I would, I would bet on proof of work. And you know, I'm not saying that proof of stake doesn't, it sure. could have a place somewhere in along the line, but it's not gonna ever be a secure backbone for the world reserve currency. Yeah, exactly. It's never gonna compete with something like Bitcoin. You need to. I, I forget who tweeted it. Someone tweeted it, and he did it really succinctly. Uh, proof of work... Oh, it was Christoph Atlas. Proof of work seems wasteful now because we're in the honeymoon phase where no major, major nation states have actually attacked, attacked it yet. But once that happens, everyone's going to be like, oh my God, it is not a waste at all. Right. And that's what, you know, you got to be ready for that. You don't want to beg regulators. Christoph from uh, Blockchain? Yes. I think that's where he's working now. Yeah, he's got good tweets. Um, no, yeah, I mean, he's OG. He's been here forever, forever. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Um, this, yeah, like we, like we were talking about at the beginning episode with Gotenna, like anything that can decentralize Bitcoin or these distributed systems further is a net net. A POS system, we would argue, I'm going to speak for you on your behalf, Uh-oh. is a very centralizing system. Yeah, that, trends to centralization, yes. but POW trends to decentralization. Exactly. There's an issue in the beginning of POW, but but we've largely gotten past that, and I, I think now we're trending towards Ooh. decentralization. And speaking of that, like, uh, check out, uh, was that the latest newsletter from Mark Invest, where Yassine wrote about uh, yes. Bitcoin mining like pools and how they've gotten more decentralized over time? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it might be this week's. It was the Ark Invest. Yeah, we'll Ark. Post, we can post the link. Yeah, we'll it. post the link. Uh, There's Yassine like a little blurb there. Had a nice little blurb about uh, Bitcoin mining centralization, how it might be more decentralized than some people think. Yeah, I mean, I think the game theory really helps us a lot, and he didn't he didn't have any you know any calculations it, that didn't affect any of the calculations there. No. Um, but but yeah, I I think at this point we've we've. The most centralized part of Bitcoin mining is behind us, and now we're going to trend to to more decentralization. Be, just from the the main fact that the cheapest energy in the world is excess stranded energy and reused energy, and none of those things you can get in large supply in one place. So they're they're going to be globally distributed yeah. as much as regulations allow. There's economies of discale, Macarella. Yeah, it's the it's opposite. Just, yeah, that's exactly. pretty. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, and you don't you have the exact opposite in a in a POS system. Exactly. Um, yeah, so that was our rant on POW versus POS. Uh, anything else? That was like unintentional. Uh, the largest Bitcoin exchange in India, oh, yeah. ZebPay, uh, voluntarily shut their doors. I mean, they've been operating in a a worse than gray area because India has banned uh, cryptocurrency trading, but they were trying to... like finagle around that i think yeah and they've they finally shut down but they did it cleanly everyone can withdraw their money the zeb wallet or whatever they want to call their custodial wallet is still allowed 
um, but they, they closed down the exchange. And there's still exchanges in India. Is Unicoin still around? I'm not sure, but I someone Sunny. shield bit BNS in my in my in my in my Twitter. Oh yeah, I saw that. Bit BNS is still up. Yeah, still up they they have like a special deal for for Zeb Pay. I have no I have no idea how legit that is. So yeah. just be careful. You shouldn't ever keep like any substantial money on an exchange. And when I if you if you send money to exchange, assume that money's gone forever. Yep. That's that's pretty much the the strategy I I look at and then analyze every decision based <laughs> off of that. Uh unless it's like if it's like a regulated exchange then you could sue them for like 3 years and like maybe you'll get your money back when Bitcoin's <laughs> at like 80k. Uh um yeah, but our hearts and uh, thoughts go out to our Indian brethren and sisters. But like that shouldn't be a surprise because India banned cat like large bills. Remember they did that yeah. whole thing where everyone had to come in and exchange their bills and write down their names to admit how much money they were hiding from the government. They're getting very dystopian. They're trying to go cashless yeah. society. They have that that don't they have like a biometric system now too? It's even yeah. It's like really bad. It's like they they tie it to like they give you a number like a social security number type situation. Yeah. And like it's really insecure. Like all the infosec people I follow are like, oh my god, like what this the fuck terrible. are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, they're going like the straight dystopian route. They have a lot of people they're trying to like wrangle over, and a lot of tax fraud that they're trying to control. Uh, well, the maybe- places the places where Bitcoin's needed the most are going to be the places where they're going to be banning it. Right. And right. and Bitcoin can get through that. You know, you always have P2P exchanges. You always have local Bitcoins. And that's why we need to make Gotenna more robust. We need to uh, we need to highlight these decentralization trends in Bitcoin and the people working on them. Uh, that's what I try to do. I think that's what you try to do as well. Yeah, that's uh, why we took Cash App as a sponsor, because they're so <laughs> <laughs> they're so not centralized. No, I mean, yeah, that's what we try and do. I agree. That's that's the that's the most important thing. It helps build Bitcoin and improve Bitcoin and and make it so that not any. The important thing is you don't want like a group of three countries to be able to take this thing down, exactly. right? Like that's the hope, right? Like if you have fifty countries all working together trying to take Bitcoin down, like Bitcoin's fucked. But like you make it significantly hard enough, and then you can have a global system. Anything short of that will never be a global system. It'll be, oh, that's the American-run system, or that's the Russian-run system. Or whatever. Yeah. And it's a beautiful ideal to strive for. I believe that wholeheartedly. and That's why I write and have this podcast. And I think slowly but surely, like I said earlier, we are on uh, an upward trajectory on this trend towards self-sovereignty and, and freeing money in particular. Uh, but the battle is far from over. There is Yeah, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. Um so yeah, uh I think what we can get from this episode is let's focus on on the things that actually help us defend against those potential state actors in the future. Um so things like Gotenna, what Samurai Samurai Wallet is doing in conjunction with them, uh are things that should be highlighted, talked about more, and if you are willing and able and have the power to send resources to these types of projects, uh, please do. I'd like to add, uh, if you have a Facebook account still, I don't know why you should, you should delete that. Yeah. They fucked up pretty bad. Yeah, they got That's hacked. going under the they radar because all the Kavanaugh shit, like yeah. Facebook has skirt. They've skirted by pretty hard because it's know, Kavanaugh shit. I don't want to jinx it. Like I know Google's tracking everything we're doing. They've been pretty good about the, like the actual, like everyone's Leaks. trying to hack them and they're pretty yeah. good about not getting, um yeah so delete your facebook you should delete your linkedin too like honestly if it's i linkedin is like the worst network yeah i'm gonna delete that absolutely at least like next bull run when you feel more financially independent people should uh just should delete their linkedin do it now when uh when it's easier and the bitcoin side of linkedin is absolute fucking cesspool so like if you're in the bitcoin industry you don't need a linkedin (laughs) if you're in any other industry i completely understand unfortunately you need it but they're I tried to like clamp down my privacy settings and there's no clamping down LinkedIn privacy settings. You just get overridden by like a, you know, a hundred dollar recruiter account. Right. So I just, I just wiped that in Facebook, you know, months ago, but, uh, everyone, everyone should do that. Care about your privacy people. No one else will. Uh, and I think that's going to be the ending note of the podcast. If you're liking what you're hearing folks, if you like the rabbit hole recap, let us know. Uh, Please subscribe to Tales from the Crypt, uh, rate us, share with friends. Trying to grow this thing. 
Uh, I think uh, I think what Matt and I have envisioned for the long term is is exciting. We've got some some ideas beyond the rabbit hole recap, but uh, definitely definitely show some support on your preferred podcasting platform. Uh, Matt, anything you want to end with? Yeah, we're available on all the different podcast apps. Just you know, type in Tales from the Crypt and click subscribe. Yeah, that helps us. Thanks for joining us this week, freaks. Bye, Bitcoin. Peace and love.